Amen. It was wonderful watching you guys worship today. I just peeked around. That's great. Well, good morning, church. Hey, congratulations. Guess what? You survived the holidays. Give yourselves a hand. You know, Christmas has been actually described as self-imposed torture. You buy presents for people who don't need a thing. You eat more food than any human being should be allowed to eat. And you drive and you fly to places to spend time with people you generally don't even like. If you're like me, you are exhausted from the Christmas and all the New Year's activities, the parties, the eating, the people. It can be quite a lot. In fact, you look pretty beat. You look pretty beat. So let's do this. Okay, ready? Open the doors. Bring in the refreshments. Woo! Bring them in. Come on. Bring. You know, I just freaked out a lot of ushers because I didn't tell them I was going to do that. They're scurrying around going, where's the refreshments? We don't have any refreshments. No, sorry, my bad. There's no refreshments today. But wouldn't that be a great idea? Right in the middle of a service, doors open. You get something to eat. I just keep on yapping. Maybe some pastries and coffee. Of course, now nobody's going to listen to a word I say the rest of the day because all you're thinking of is a bear claw and a French cruller. That's all right. I'll go on anyway. I get to start our new series called Renew with this word, refresh. With this word, refresh. Now, refresh, by definition, means this. To make somebody feel more energetic, especially with rest, with food, and with drink. Now, when I hear the word refresh, refreshment, refreshing, I think of things like this. Going on a hike, one of our beautiful trails up here in a hot summer, and then taking time to stop and go dive down into the cold Yuba River. Taking a nap on a Saturday. (laughs) Some people didn't like the hike, but they loved the nap idea. (laughs) Going out to a friend, having some coffee, and just talking about life. And one for me, and I did this yesterday, going for a long bicycle ride, and then stopping halfway and having a power bar just to give me a little more energy to keep going. Those are the things I think of. What about you? If I just said, what is refreshing? What would be on your list? What would be those things? And you go, this is where I find my refreshment. Well, I don't know about you. 2013 was a long year for me. I took on way too much work, dealt with too many problems, and at times struggled just to keep going. So perhaps your year had been the same. And And you're here today, and you need some refreshing. I really believe that without these times of refreshment, I'm not sure any of us are able to keep going, doing what we need to do. But we didn't invent this idea of being tired. We didn't invent this idea of of needing to be refreshed. In fact, even at times feeling hopeless about our lives, that's not new to us. It's not a new problem. In fact, the people who would have heard the words of our scripture today, Isaiah 40, they needed to be refreshed in a big way. So this would be the time to take out your message notes, and there'll be some fill-ins on there for you. You can grab one of these church Bibles or your Bible that you have it. It's on page 546 if you're going to follow along with me. And many of the verses will be on the screen as well. You can follow along and enjoy our time together. And we're going to find out how their lives and our lives might both need some refreshing. But I need to start with some background on Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40. 
Isaiah was a prophet who has a message, both of judgment. Most of what has been, he's done from 1 to 39 has been about judgment. And now in chapter 40, it switches to hope. I'm glad I was given this chapter. I'd much prefer talking about hope. And so that's what's going on. But in this passage specifically, Isaiah is addressing people about events which will take place 100 years in the future. Isaiah would be writing to a people who, like I said, will be very tired themselves. God's people will have been living in a foreign nation under enemy rule for multiple generations. God had allowed them to be taken captive into Babylon in 586 by their enemies under their ruler, Nebuchadnezzar. And so this is where they find themselves. You know, the people had agreed to a covenant with God. They had agreed that they would promise to follow him and to follow no one else. And they were not keeping their part of the bargain. They instead had chosen to follow other gods and they needed to learn a lesson in order to fully return to serving the one true God. But as a result, these people, they're tired. They're tired of the trauma of exile. They're tired of hardship, of living in the midst of their enemies in a foreign land. They long to go home, but their faith was growing weak. They'd been taken from everything they knew, and they were now living in a hostile environment, especially when it came to the terms of trying to live out their faith in that environment. They would be in exile so long that many would have given up hope of returning to their beloved Jerusalem. They wondered aloud, has God rejected us because of our continual rejection of him and our failure to follow him? They wondered if he was powerful enough to eventually take them back home again. But Isaiah provides hope. Hope that they will be set free and be able to return to Jerusalem. And Isaiah is going to make it clear in this chapter that it is their all-powerful God who's behind all the events of history. But these potent, these amazing words that come from Isaiah are not just for those exiles. These were written for people in all times and all places who may have lost some hope in God. You yourselves may at this moment in time feel somewhat like the people in exile. Maybe you're asking some of the same questions they were asking. Things like, where is God when I hurt? What is he doing in the world? Why don't I see him when he works or if he's working even in my life? Can I trust him with my life and my circumstances? And Isaiah 40 is going to provide us all some ways to begin to answer those questions and to help you be refreshed. So the first thing that we need to do is to rediscover God's heart. You can fill that in. Rediscover God's heart. I'm going to read Isaiah 41 to 2. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over for all her sins. Comfort. What a great way to start this passage. I, I want to say it again like the scripture does. Ready? Comfort. Comfort. God is all about taking care of his people. God is looking for opportunities right now to forgive you, to bless you. 
The Israelites, he says, have paid the price for their disobedience. Their sad days are gone and they are pardoned. What a great feeling that must have been for those who first heard these words. They, they may have felt ecstatic about the thought of finally being able to return home, being reunited with loved ones that perhaps had not been with them all these years. And actually, it reminded me of a very current news story about a guy named Merrill Newman. You might remember this. This was December 7th, Merrill Newman. North Korea freed an 85-year-old U.S. veteran of the Korean War after a weeks-long detention, ending the saga of Merrill Newman's attempt to visit the North as a tourist six decades after he oversaw a group of South Korean wartime guerrillas. North Korea's official Korean Central News Agency said it made the decision to release him because 85-year-old Merrill Newman had apologized for his alleged crimes during the Korean War and on a recent trip to the country and because of his age and his medical condition. Quote from him, I'm very glad to be on my way home, Newman told NBC News at the Beijing airport, and I appreciate the tolerance that the government of North Korea has given to me to be on my way. Merrill was pardoned. He was set free. Newman also said the first thing he'd like to do is go home and see his wife. How great of news that must have been for him to hear, that he was going to be allowed to go home. How his heart must have leapt when he heard those words. It would be the same for those in exile. The same feeling, the same thoughts, except theirs was in a week's long detention. Theirs was over 70 years of living in exile. Back to the article. Before Newman, North Korea had detained at least six Americans since 2009, and five of them have either been released or deported after prominent Americans like former presidents Bill Clinton and Jimmy Carter traveled to Pyongyang. The country has held for more than a year a sixth detainee, a Korean-American missionary and tour operator, Kenneth Bay, for alleged subversion. Kenneth is still waiting for those words. He's still longing to hear the words that he has been forgiven. He's going to be set free and be pardoned. We need to pray for him that he will not give up hope that his release would also come. Well, the people that Isaiah is writing to, they need to have hope in their desperate situation. But how about you? How about you? Do you need comfort? Like the words just promised us we could have? Like God promises his people? Perhaps you need to first rediscover God's heart for you, that he, that he cares for you deeply. God wants to forgive you in this new year. He wants to free you from any bondage or feelings of being trapped in this life. God wants you to come home. Another thing we need to do to find refreshment is to reconsider our perspective. And this will happen in two areas. The first thing we need to reconsider our perspective is on life. Verses 6 to 8. A voice said, shout. And I asked, what should I shout? Shout that people are like the grass. Their beauty fades as quickly as the flowers in the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade beneath the breath of the Lord. And so it is with people. The grass withers and the flowers fade the word of our God stands forever. Well, let's face it. This is earth. It's not heaven. And for some of you, though, you might be flying high. Life might be going really, really well for you. Fantastic. 
But don't let those successes go to your head because it's going to pass away. On the other hand, others of you may feel more like those in exile. Your dreams have been shattered. Life's not going like you planned. Maybe you're dealing with just too many concerns, too many issues. Well, here's the good news. That's eventually going to fade away as well. We need to keep an eternal perspective. I have spoken in the past here about our lives being like a mist. So I'm just going to remind us of how the scripture refers to life here. It says it's like grass and flowers. They appear for a moment and then they fade away. This is earth. And that means it won't be perfect. It'll be difficult. But we know there is something better in store for us. I'm aware of this opportunity to reconsider my perspective about life at least once a month as I volunteer at the Auburn Food Closet. So just two weeks ago on a Friday, I was there and I spoke to a single mom with small children who for the very first time had to, had to come into a food closet to get some free food. I had a crazy conversation with two war veterans. They were discussing the effects of Agent Orange that had contaminated them during their time in Vietnam. One young man sat in front of me walked straight over from the jail. He had just been released. Didn't know where to start, nowhere to live, no food. I had a young couple that was there on that day, and they had lost their home a while back, and then they just simply ran out of money. And here they were at the food closet. Well, they remind me, first of all, of how good my life is, how well I have things. But I'm also reminded that these people need refreshment. They need to be reminded that God loves them and cares about them. They need to know that, yes, this life will pass, but there is one thing that will last forever, and that is God's word. That is God's promises. He offers us eternal life beyond the struggles that we experience here on earth. A second way we need to reconsider our perspective is on God on God. I'm going to read 18 to 20. To whom can you compare God? What image can you find to resemble him? Can he be compared to an idol formed in a mold, overlaid with gold and decorated with silver chains? Or if people are too poor for that, they might at least choose wood that won't decay and a skilled craftsman to carve an image that won't fall down. As much as God's people wanted to leave captivity and they wanted to return to their homeland. It just, it just wasn't that easy. These people had been there for generations. In fact, they had done exactly as Jeremiah the prophet told the people to do when they went into exile. God tells them to do this. You're in exile, so do this. Build homes, plan to stay. He knew they were going to be there for a while. Plant gardens, eat the food they produce, marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. They did that, but after many years, the situation where God's people changed, and now they were allowed to finally leave and return home. But many had become quite comfortable living like they were in exile. And a few even became rather wealthy. 
So to leave now, to trek 700 miles through treacherous terrain, carrying only those things that you could have on your back or you could put into a cart, that caused them to really have second thoughts about this idea of leaving. They must have been wondering, is God big enough? Can God take care of these problems? So to make his point, God, through Isaiah, poses some questions to show his omnipotence, his complete, unlimited, universal power and authority. And he says this in 12. I love these questions he asks. Who else has held the ocean in his hand? Who's measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? Our God is all-powerful. But he's not just all-powerful. He also says right below that he's omniscient. He is all-knowing. God does not need our advice, even though at times we'd like to give it to him. It says in 13 and 14, Who is able to advise the Spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or teach him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right or show him the paths of justice? God's people in exile had been taught by the Babylonians in their mythology that there was a creator God. His name was Marduk. And he could not proceed with creation without consulting Ea, the all-wise. So here, Isaiah is showing the people that the Lord works with unaided wisdom. He doesn't need to consult with anything about what his, he, he is doing with creation or anything else, for that matter of fact. And so he's trying to assure the children in captivity, they don't need to fear the Babylonian captors. They don't need to, comp- to fear their gods, little g. In fact, it goes on in verses 15 and 17. It says that their gods, compared to God's greatness, are not a drop in a bucket. They're not dust on a scale. In fact, it says they are less than nothing. They are mere emptiness. The great empire of Babylon will fall and fade into dust. But God will save his people. Have you ever, have you ever tried to imagine God with your finite mind? Like, like really trying to picture God, what he looks like, uh, how we can portray him maybe in human terms. I've heard God compared to many things. One would be uh, a waiter. I've heard comparing God to a waiter. You wake up every morning, God's at your bedside, he gets out his little notepad, he says, what would you like today? You give him your little list, he goes off to fulfill your order. I've heard God compared to a Santa Claus, just a happy, jolly man who wants to bring you good gifts. Ho, ho, ho. I've always wanted to play Santa Claus. He'd have to just be a goateed Santa Claus. I've heard God compared to a policeman just waiting, waiting for you to do something wrong so he can slap you with a fine and punish you. I've heard people compare God to being like a slot machine, a snack dispenser, a bodyguard, and even a pro wrestler. But it's the scripture that is true when it says, and I already read 18, but this is Isaiah speaking, to whom can you compare God? What image can you find to resemble him? And then a few verses later, God himself chimes in when he says in 25, to whom will you compare me? 
Who is my equal? Asks the Holy One. Those in captivity, captivity had seen many created idols. They were made out of earthly material that their captors were calling their gods. One writer actually said that this section was exposing the pathetic inadequacy of idolatry by showing how great and powerful our living God truly is. You know, I was thinking about this, and, and I think we are captive to the same kind of idolatry that they were. Big homes, fancy cars, new cell phones every two years if you can hold out that long, <laughs> fancy jewelry, nice clothes, trying to look young forever, and, and, and. The list of our idolatry goes on and on. Wouldn't we be much better off setting aside those idols that are made of wood and gold and silver and truly believing in the God that it says created all the stars and calls them all by name? Wow. In thinking about how big our God is and how big creation actually is, I heard this analogy recently, ready? If we could reduce the Milky Way galaxy... Okay, if we could reduce the Milky Way galaxy and fit it into North America, so Mexico, U.S., and Canada. We're going to shrink down the Milky Way galaxy, put it into Mexico, U.S., and Canada. Our solar system that's a part of that, our solar system, would fit inside this cup. Wow. Our God is so big. His creation is so big. We are so small. We are so small. And we are only one of 125 billion galaxies. We need to know from verse 26, it says all we need to do is look up to the heavens and we can know that there is a God. Do you believe God is big enough to trust him with your problems? He's the creator and sustainer of our universe. Do you believe he's actually powerful enough to deal with your relationship issues? with your finances, with your concerns. Realizing how big God is helps us reconsider our perspective on him. So to find refreshment this year, we need to, one, rediscover God's heart, that he loves you, that he cares for you. Two is reconsider our perspective on how short life is and how big God is. And the third thing we need to do to find refreshment is to renew our strength. Renew our strength. I want to read to you 27 through 31. Oh, Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? Oh, Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weary or weak. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. And they will walk and not faint. It's interesting. Even even with all this knowledge about God's omnipotence, God's omniscience, in verse 27, God's people are still wondering if God's in control. They're still wondering if he would act on their behalf. Isaiah says it. How can you say? How can you say? He says, how dare you? 
How dare you question who God is after all you know about him? And then he gives a reply also with questions. He says, have you never heard? Have you never understood? These are rhetorical questions. He's not looking for answers here. The answer is yes. Yes, you have heard about the grace and the mercy and the understanding of God. Yes, you have understood that he's the creator of the universe and he cares for you. Earlier it says like a shepherd who's caring for his sheep. Sometimes we need to be reminded of things we already know. God is willing to make an amazing exchange with his people. Their fear, their weakness for his power. Let me say that again. God is willing to make an amazing exchange with you. Your fear, your weakness for his power. I would take that exchange any day. The words, the tired, weak, and weary that are used here, they mean just being overcome by circumstances, overcome by the circumstances of life. They use the words youth and young men. These would be the type of supreme military man or an athlete that would capture the eye of those who were wandering around the countryside selecting their future Olympians. But it says even those finely tuned athletes have their limits. I remember being a finely tuned athlete once. It was in 1973. I was on the cross country team. You'll have to figure out which one I am up there because I had hair. So it was one of those uh, September days, those Indian summer kind of days when the temperatures rise above 100 degrees. And we were going to run a race that was just short of three miles. And in the race before me, one young competitor uh, had hit the wall. He was overcome by the heat. Uh, the energy he was expending would no longer carry his legs further, and he simply just fell down. He fell down. The other runners sprinted by him, hopped over him, went around him, and continued on their way. But at that same time, members, people from the, uh, from the sidelines begin to run out to this young man. Now, I know it was a long time ago, but I clearly remember, I clearly remember that cheerleaders... We're a part of that rescue group. And they picked him up and they carried him off into the shade and they gave him some water. His day was over. And then the gun went off for my race. And I remember as if it was yesterday coming to that same place, that same place where that other young man had fallen down and considering my options. <laughs> I thought to myself, if I fall down, Maybe, maybe, just maybe, those same cheerleaders <laughs> would come to my rescue. I can continue running, continue sweating, continuing laboring for breath to try and outdo my opponents, or I, I can just fall down. Maybe they would carry me off, I thought, take me into the shade and give me some water, and my day would be over. The scripture here, although it talks about running, it talks about that, isn't just about falling in physical exhaustion. What's being referred to is that we can become exhausted mentally, just trying to keep all of our life together. We can become tired spiritually, struggling in our faith, waiting for God to act on our behalf as we cling to hope in trying times. But we need to realize we can't keep going on our own. We need God's help. 
And verse 31 is our key verse for our whole series on Renew. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. And the key word is trust. Now some other versions, and you know those, use the word wait. Those who wait on the Lord. Waiting in this context is not simply just to pass time. It's not simply just to mark time. Waiting here is to live in confident expectation of God's action on our behalf. To trust God for his timing. To trust God in those situations that don't make sense. To wait on God even though you do not see him currently working. This is complete dependence on him. And then it says that new strength will be found. New strength will be found. This is not more strength, and this is not human strength. I remember there was a time I was weightlifting, and I put a lot of weight on the, the bar, and I tried to do a bench press, and uh, I couldn't. Like, I, I, I wasn't using a spotter, and I was alone, and I was stuck. And I realized my human strength had come to an end, and I needed to rely on another's human strength as I called out for someone to come help, to come and lift that bar off my chest. That's not what this is referring to. This is not natural power. It's not human strength. This is divine power. Think about that, divine power, as if people could grow wings and soar through the skies like an eagle, the most majestic of birds. This is power from the all-powerful God given to us so we can continue on in our lives despite the hard times that we face. It says we then can run and not get weary and we can walk and not faint. All of Isaiah has led us to this last verse. Many of us are tired. Some are hurting. And I'd venture to say that there's a few here who are on the verge of even giving up hope that God is there for you. But we need to trust God to carry us through. How do we know we can trust him? If we, had, if, if we were just looking at Isaiah 40, if we just took Isaiah 40, how do we know that we can trust God? Now, there's some words that are going to come up. There's some fill-ins. I'm going to go pretty quick over these, so just jot these down. But first of all, what we see in Isaiah 40 is that God is a God of covenant. He's never broken his promise to his people. He's never been unfaithful, even though we continually let him down. But verse 5 tells us that he will return for us. Verse 8 says that his word is truth and it stands forever. And verse 11 talks about that he cares for his children. In verse 12, he is the creator and the sustainer of all things. And finally, the reality in verse 25 is there is no comparison. There is no equal. He is our all-powerful, all-knowing God, and he is ready to comfort you in times of trouble if you will trust him. So you can find refreshment in God when you, first of all, rediscover God's heart for you, when you reconsider your perspective on life and God, and then when you let God renew your strength. When God's people in exile were ready to finally trust God, then they were ready for their 700-mile walk home. Are you ready not just to walk this year, but to soar high on wings like eagles, 
because you trust him with your life. We're at the beginning of a new year, and I think I've said this the last four years as I've had the opportunity to speak on this first Sunday of the year, but I believe in do-overs. I believe in fresh starts. I believe in pardons, and I hope you do too. Today is the best time to start anew with your walk with Christ. He is able to be trusted with your life. Recommit to following Jesus this year. Find the refreshment you need in your morning quiet times that you have with God or that you plan to restart with God. Or if you've never had them, start them for the first time. Reading scripture. Begin to pray daily, talking with God about your life. Jump into a community group and find new friends and accountability here at Twin Cities. This year, open up your wallets and support the amazing ministries that we are offered here at our church. And if you've never trusted God, if you've never given your life to Him before, today is your day to start anew. If that's you, just say a prayer like this. God, I will trust you starting today with my life. I know I don't know everything there is to know about you, but I will start right where I'm at and open up my heart to you. Come into my life, Jesus, and take control. Help me to follow and trust in you every day. And God, I pray for everyone here, for those that already have been following, for perhaps those who've fallen down in exhaustion, perhaps those who are beginning to give up hope, that you would renew us with your strength that you would help us to see that you want us to come home, that you've pardoned us and set us free, and you're waiting, waiting with open arms for us to return to you. Give us the strength we need to live each day for you. In Jesus' name, amen.